Do you guys know what, uh, what I did to get in here? I taped Larry Lester's buns together. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 64, The Breakfast Club. So, pretty big episode, right? Yeah, I would say so. Was this on a lot of the lists that you've formed over time? Uh, yeah. It's always been one. Um, I think it's a good one because it's a crowd pleaser. Everyone's seen it. Yeah. So we're not really, you know, we're not going to be counted on as much to relay the entire plot beat by beat by beat. Not that there really is much of a plot, but (laughs) you know what I mean. We don't need to explain this to people. I think everyone's got a working familiarity with it. I was uh, thinking while we were watching it, like, I don't know if this was a movie that came out. Or, like, if I was just seeing it in theaters for the first time, would I even like it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I would. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, it it definitely is a moment in time kind of thing. Um, Some of the language in it is a little outdated in the sense that at the time that this movie came out, a lot of the things that are said in it weren't really, like played out lame cliches that, yeah. that they are now. So they say some things in it where you're like, that kind of seems a little generic to Eat be saying my shorts. That. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, that didn't really become like a passe thing until, you know, it was on the Simpsons and it was like a right. Bart Simpson thing, but this was, you know, this predates the yeah, Simpsons. I know it's hard to imagine that was ever something to say. Oh, it was something. <laughs> it was something. All right. Yeah. So before we get into it, uh, just a reminder to uh, follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. We really uh, appreciate the support of all of our beloved ass clowns out there in <laughs> Radioland. Yeah, tuning in. It's been a big week for the show. I know it's a lot uh, to keep track of, but hey, you know we're providing you lots of content for free. So shut the fuck up. Stop complaining about it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think people will be excited about the rate at which things are coming out now. Yeah, well, get ready for that to fall off a cliff. <laughs> As always, keep spreading the word. Keep spreading the gospel of the greatest moments in the history of forever. You know, we, we uh, love to see those download numbers uh, go up a little bit. Yeah, we keep close watch on those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> a little too close. Um, anywho... I think uh, without any further ado, we can get right into this one because uh, uh, there might be a fair amount to say. I mean, I think kind of a lot to cover. This is going to really bring out a lot of emotion, I think, in me personally. So 
right away the whole deal with uh, the teacher. What's his name? Richard Vernon? Yeah, Mr. Vernon. I don't understand what's going on here. He's a teacher, but he... I mean, so you would think he has to work a normal teacher schedule, right? But then it's like, he, he works Saturdays too, just doing this? Yeah. Is there like overtime? or? I'm not, Well, I mean, I don't really know how it works. He seems to kind of function as a teacher principal and just general authority figure because typically I would think that if a school has a thing like Saturday detention, they rotate That's the person right. that covers yeah. it. But, you know, obviously we get several indications that he's going to be here every Saturday. Yeah. And it's also strange. He's pretty gung-ho about it, too. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. He's, like, so willing to just keep, you know, unloading Saturday detentions on Bender. <laughs> yeah, you're ruining like your own life. <laughs> and then, like, the janitor is there on a Saturday, too, because you figure, all right, the janitor has to clean up after the kids. The kids make a mess in the school. So, you know, they go around and they clean the classrooms and the bathrooms and mop the floors and all this stuff every day. So I would assume Monday through Friday is a guarantee every what week. What good is Saturday detention doing for anyone? <laughs> I mean, now uh, Vernon and the janitor apparently have this whole deal where they drink beer together. <laughs> I mean, do you think that's a regular occurrence? Well, I think because we see those uh, old student pictures at the beginning of the film, and we see that the janitor went to this school and everything, I kind of get the impression that. They knew each other from high school. Old friends. And, you know, they've kind of taken a different path in life, yet have ended up at the same place, more or less. Yeah, and are there on Saturdays. <laughs> so... I mean, it just seems awful. You know, just to lay out the basic premise, um, it's Saturday, March 24th, 1984, 7 a.m., they have to be there. And it, we have five students from Shermer High... In Shermer, Illinois, um, Claire, played by Molly Ringwald, Andrew, played by Emilio Estevez, Brian, played by Anthony Michael Hall, uh, Allison, played by Ali Sheedy, and Bender, played by Judd Nelson. And I think, you know, the overall point here is that writer-director John Hughes wanted to kind of represent these different social clicks and kind of get you know present us with like a stereotype from each and then the point of the film is to break down those stereotypes and to learn that of course these kids all have more in common than they would have originally thought and everyone learns a an important life lesson right and of course and and i and the film obviously kind of is structured like and works kind of as a play because we're all kind of kept in one location for the most part and there's only a few characters and it's mostly just dialogue driven the yeah. entire film now bender is like a punk but he's kind of got the greaser thing going on he carries a switchblade yeah i mean i think he's supposed to be just your average high school criminal hooligan type dirtball yeah you know he <laughs> he has a switchblade and pot in his locker and a cigarettes significant- bag of pot it looks like yeah well i have to imagine it's probably pretty shitty weed (laughs) and yeah i mean he kind of 
he actually more or less carries the bulk of the film. Like he pretty much he definitely has to have the most lines. Yeah, he speaks the most and kind of like drives forward. It really I mean he starts right out of the gate just trying to get a rise out of people. Now, I will say being stuck in a room with a dude like this for 8 hours would just be my nightmare. I mean, just brutal. I was just like, dude, just shut up. Yeah. Which you know, some of the characters have that reactions at times. I will say their moods can all just change. <laughs> yeah, like, just switch on a dime. But, like yeah. to just kind of you know further what you're saying about Bender. Like he's the type of dude that you would kind of idolize and think was like such a badass, cool guy. Like if you saw this movie when you were like 14, you know he's so like the rebel. Yeah, like fuck authority. Like basically, you know, talks back to. Um, he's talking Werner. shit to an adult, and. You know, in kind of that crass, like, anything goes teenage spirit, like, you know, he says, like, things to, like, the popular girl Claire and the jock Andrew. Like, you know, he's not afraid to just, like, speak his mind. Right. And ultimately, you know, as you mature a little bit and then you look back on this, you're just like, God, this fucking kid is so obnoxious. Um, Now, Claire and Andrew kind of uh, get, like, they kind of cozy up to each other early, but it's kind of weird to think that they wouldn't run in the same social circle. Well, yeah, I think I think the implication is that if any of the characters knew each other well beforehand, it would have to be those two. They right. choose to sit. They're the only two that are sitting at the same table yep. when things start out. And there does seem to be a certain amount of familiarity between the two of them. The other three kind of all sit separately and it's kind of strange because I mean varying degrees of loser dumb. Yeah. I mean, I went to a fairly big high school and it would be tough to put at the time, at least to have put me in a room with like four students that like, cause I mean, they, they kind of don't even seem to know each other's names or anything. Yeah. That's like bizarre. how big is this high school? I mean, they, they seem to be like almost complete strangers. I mean, the library is massive. <laughs> It's a big fucking library. So, you know, at first, like, uh, Bender's kind of shtick rubs everyone the wrong way, and it's kind of like... It's like, dude, it's seven in the morning. (laughs) It's like... Well, he walked to detention, so you kind of get the impression that his day may have started, you know, a lot earlier. That's true, yeah. Um, It does seem like uh, a dude like that, why would he even show up? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I mean... He has to be pretty close to expulsion. Yeah, I mean, maybe be, as we find out, you know, as things about each character are revealed, he kind of comes from a, like a bad home life. So maybe any yeah school excuse is an to escape. Like, get away, I guess. You know, and for whatever reason, like uh, Werner has like a total stick up his ass from the get go and demands that they all write these a thousand word essays yeah. describing. Who you think you are is kind of the topic of the essay. And it's just <laughs> Although like, it's like the way he even delivers it is in a way of like, who do you think you are? <laughs> yeah. He kind of clearly has like a disdain for the youth of today kind of thing. And it's kind of like the typical like man in the wrong line of work kind of trope that gets 
trotted yeah. out in certain types of movies. One like, of my earlier memories of seeing the movie, uh, it was just always that, like, man, that's so weird. I just, the idea of, like, being yelled at by an adult that wasn't my parents is just so fucking weird to me. <laughs> like, I can't, I just can't imagine being, like, yelled at by some ad- adult. <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know, as we ourselves get older, like, I can't really imagine ever, like, being in a situation of, like, yelling at just, like, teenagers oh, yeah. all the time. Speaking of parents, too, that's, like, the other thing. They all hate their parents. It's, like, I, I mean, maybe that was just, like, a generational thing, but, like... I don't really remember. I mean, I certainly had fights with my parents, but I, I really never had like this level of unhappiness that they all seem to have with their parents. Like they're so afraid of being their parents. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a common thing for high school age people, especially like uh, some some of the the particular types of people that Hughes chose to you know represent these different groups because you have. Because obviously, I think you know, d- despite the fact that it might not be your own experience, I think that you would be familiar with the idea of parents vicariously living through their kids when it comes to sports, which right. is what's happening with the jock Andrew, who's a wrestler, and kind of you know the unnecessary pressure sometimes put to on, perform or succeed. Yeah, or I mean, be what they want. Because I, I agree that really wasn't my experience either. But I don't. Yeah, I was I like. Don't, I look at my parents and would be like, oh, man, I can't wait to have zero personality and be super boring. And like, when, when <laughs> what do you mean you can't show, wait? <laughs> yeah, I'm on the right track. Yeah, and I think the same thing goes with for Brian because, you know, the license plate on his mom's car was E-M-C-2, like E equals Oof. M-C squared. So it's obviously that he comes a fam- he comes bleak. from a family of overachievers when it comes to like grades and uh intellect and so there's obvious so the pressure mounted on him is kind of the same as andrew it's just in a different line of work right if you if you will so and then you compare you know taking all of the characters kind of at their word at least you can then compare um claire's home life where she talks about how her parents don't really seem to care about her She's a prop in their kind of never-ending war between the two. And, you know, she's given lots of things, you know, diamond earrings, a car, nice clothes, and all this stuff. It's just like like passive-aggressive moves by her parents to get at each other? Well, yeah, but it's also like in lieu of actual love love and affection or, you know, caring. Almost like, you know, she's kind of a, you know, like a very – very 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 tame version of like a Brady Snell's character or something <laughs> like her parents are so rich and they don't really pay any attention and they don't really care and despite the fact that her home life isn't like if they lived in Los Angeles instead of Illinois or wherever it is yeah, yeah. well like her it could her, have been a less than zero <laughs> situation well like her parent like her home life might not be like physically abusive or even verbally abusive like Bender's but it's like emotionally abusive or something. Yeah. And so don't you y- kind of wish that the cast of The Breakfast Club was the same people from Less Than Zero or like Less Than Zero was just the cast of The Breakfast Club? Well, there was a little bit of crossover right. because um Andrew McCarthy and um the- even Robert Downey Jr to a certain extent were kind of like Somewhat affiliated well, and, with um, the Brat Pack. 
uh, the guy with the feathered bangs. He plays a uh, Rip in Less Than Zero. James Spader. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's a Brat Packer too. Uh, he was in one of either Pretty in Pink or yeah, I think he was in Pretty in Pink. Yeah, there's definitely some crossover. There were only so many actors in yeah, the '80s, I, apparently. Right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, through the use of kind of fairly conventional conversational means, like the characters start to open up with each other because it isn't long before Bender starts fucking around to the point that draws Werner's attention back into the room. And pretty early in the film, the other characters are already kind of covering for him. Yeah, they're buying in. Because they're pissed at him, yet at the same time, they have this common enemy. Yeah. This, so like they bonded in the sense that they are annoyed with Bender and they don't like him at first, yet they don't want to rat on him because the idea of like going to like a an authority figure over another student is I mean, so repellent to which them. Is, but it's like, I don't even know what, aside from making them write this stupid essay, I mean, he pretty much grants them a decent amount of autonomy. I mean, it's not like he hangs in the same room the whole time. Now, granted, the door does play a part in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so one point they make an, an excursion to Bender's locker to go retrieve his dope. And it's kind of like this group trip, even though it's kind of interesting because the scene preceding this, they kind of weren't really getting along at all. And then next thing you know, they're all walking together and it's kind of revealed through their conversation that they don't, re- most of them don't really know why they're doing this or what they're even doing, but they're just doing it. Right. Um, they're following uh, Bender's lead. And so, you know, Eventually, we, you know, after they're all five of them are maybe going to get caught out by Warner, then Bender takes the bullet for everyone by running through the halls singing a song so that he'll be the just only one caught. Complete. That kind of makes him likable, though, because he's just like, well, yeah, I'm already like no, fucked that, here, so yeah, he let me just do jumps it. jumps on the grenade, but I just, I mean, him running through the halls, like ripping things off the walls, <laughs> and then it's like in the gym shooting baskets. <laughs> He just has to be like an ass at all times. Right. Um, so then we get the completely ludicrous marijuana smoking section of the film. I I don't know. The ideas of like me trying to picture John Hughes like pitching this part to somebody, like what this is going to be like. I mean, it starts off kind of like, you know, normal stoner movie style where they're just like, uh, Bender and Molly Ringwalder, she's lighting up the joint, and they're kind of just like laughing, being kind of goofy. But once like Emilio Estevez comes into the picture, well, he seems to be off smoking by himself in yeah. a room. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know. And then proceeds to have like this weird, uh, aggressive meltdown where he's like tearing off his clothes and running around and yeah dancing i mean it's like i can't imagine this is someone people would want to smoke with (laughs) it's like dude chill out and then he he yells and shatters the glass window on the door yeah it's horrible (laughs) i i I mean just a completely shocking decision to include that in this film yeah just it's mind-blowing it feels like completely unnecessary I mean, as sad as it is to say, because, I mean, I I do think John Hughes is great. Um, he turned these scripts around like he basically would write these scripts like in a night. It seemed like he he was able to like do that 
I've wrote another masterpiece. I mean, yeah, that's basically what it was. I mean, he could write these these movies that would end up being timeless classics and that would make all this money. And I mean, I definitely think there are some interesting dynamics going on here, uh, but there's a lot of just ridiculous things going on in this movie. Well, I would say the glass shattering is the is the yeah. only thing that I I, I really can't. What about accept. the other dance number? Well, I think that's just like. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you think about that, like, literally. But, like, in the context of a movie, it's just, like, this goofy, symbolic, like, letting the guard down. The three almost kind of grinding on each other. <laughs> <laughs> but what I was going to say about John Hughes' writing is, 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 as much as it pains me to say it, I think that Emilio Estevez shattering the glass is just a, a, a ham-handed metaphor for, like, breaking down the barriers between them. And like how this, you know, this, they're constantly bonding over different things and finding common ground. And now they've, uh, four of the characters, Anthony Michael Hall, Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson, and Molly Ringwald have smoked pot together. And it it kind of takes their relationships to like this next level because... It is weird. You you wouldn't have thought, uh, Anthony, what is it? Anthony Michael Hall? Yeah. You wouldn't have thought the nerd character would have been so quick to leap to go try recreational drugs. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure if they really set that up well enough because you could kind of take it like, well, he just wants to be part of the group, but he goes before Emilio Estevez goes. Because if you think about it, it's like if you've never like smoked before, that's kind of a big, and I don't even mean like weed or just, the idea of smoking something for the first time. And well, obviously, like, well, obviously, the biggest hurdle is they're smoking indoors in a school. I mean, it just oh, seems well, yeah, like they're insane. begging to be caught. <laughs> well, Bender kind of set the, you know the bar there earlier just by lighting up a cigarette. Yeah, I don't know how Warner never smells any of this stuff, but um, you could say that possibly Brian, as his character is called, right. he. Is he, he might be just wanting to be part of the group or he's following Molly Ringwald because she's the pretty girl or he's following Emilio Estevez because he wants to be more like him or he's impressed by Bender in general. Like now maybe this rebellious nature of Bender is just kind of winning everyone over. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but when Bender takes the bullet for everyone when they leave the first time, he kind of gets... Uh, put in his own separate room away from everyone else but his solution is to then climb well, through the on. ceiling when he's put in this separate room i mean the teacher is basically trying to start a fist fight with him <laughs> i yeah. mean it's like go ahead punch me in the face <laughs> i mean yeah i mean it's a little over the top <laughs> it you do wonder why a Werner is like willing to work every Saturday to come into this detention, and also like B, why he gives a shit so much oh, yeah. about like what these fucking asshole kids do. Like, I mean, why would he, he even care? Do you think he's married? I don't know. Is his home life just like that bad? <laughs> it's somehow worse than Bender's, <laughs> who's you know physically assaulted by his father. <laughs> but then, so Bender, you know, after the brief like near altercation with the principal he climbs through the ceiling and walk goes across like the uh um, yeah like the dropped ceiling 
<laughs> yeah. The what do they call that, those things? I don't know. I can't remember. Like the ceiling board things. Yeah. I don't know. And just crashes through back into the library. The amount of damage that he does to the school. In this oh room. yeah. I mean, you would think he would be kicked out just for that. So, when that metaphorical wall is broken down by Emilio Estevez <laughs> screaming and blowing out the glass, it kind of loosens everybody up to the point where like they for kind of the first time really start to open up with each other and reveal more about themselves and it's not this kind of posturing that we saw you know in the first act of the film yeah this is where the movie gets real weird (laughs) so i mean yeah i mean what is going on with emilio estevez (laughs) we'll get to i want yeah we'll get to that in a second okay yeah but yeah, I mean, if if I told you that like in high school that I had detention one Saturday with four other people from my grade or my school that I didn't really know that well, I maybe just recognized their faces. Yeah, and we would start at seven a.m. and by the afternoon, all five of us would be in tears and. To the point, <laughs> yeah. It's like what happened was there some sort of like uh, tragedy that, <laughs> like some sort of national tragedy that we all found out about and rea- reacting to. It's just like it's so insane to think how emotional these kids get by the end of the day, just yeah. like opening up, it, just it, hearing each other tell stories. Yeah, but I do think part of that is our kind of taking for granted that this movie is. 32 years old yeah yeah. i think kids now in high school and certainly even you know 10 years ago 20 years ago probably were emotionally very different i think yeah uh, despite the fact that this takes place in 1984 i still think there was a lot of emotional repression amongst certain you know, certain kinds of teenagers. And I think this is like, this kind of almost serves as like a group therapy for these five who kind of haven't ever really expressed these kind of thoughts and feelings because those thoughts and feelings weren't going to generally be accepted by their own little peer groups. And there's kind of a certain comfort in the anonymity of talking to someone who's not your friend but is your peer. You know what I mean? Like these yeah. are all like the same age. They as they discover, they kind of have similar experiences in life even though they wouldn't have thought so on the surface. And then so they don't have to they kind of get to this vulnerable place where they don't really have to be worried about what their friends think of them anymore. Yeah. Because they can say these things that they've never said. And so of course I will say, yeah, I do think that's one of the more interesting parts of the movie. And I do find it uh relatable. I mean I, I do I can't think of times of my life when I was in high school and, you know, the time a little bit before and maybe a, a, eh, probably not after, but of being in situations where people that I didn't really interact with in school that much and then all of a sudden it's like you're in this kind of forced interaction with them and then you do do form some sort of like little friendship that only lasts like a day. But like I, you know, and I never really was tight with those people again after that event. Yeah. It's something that just kind of 
I don't know why this is. I mean, it's human nature, I guess, to separate and form groups and cliques and put up barriers and walls. And that's just the way it is. I mean, it's it's maybe never more evident than it is in high school, but it yeah. isn't necessarily something that's any different from any other part of life. But when you get right down to it and you kind of get past, you know, the bullshit that you kind of put around yourself to insulate yourself, you know, obviously human beings are usually able to connect on some sort of level. And, you know, it's kind of a a life lesson for these five people who are kind of the uh, proxies for their entire, you know, social class that they're in. Like, you know, yeah. obviously these are five specific people, but the idea is that, the groups that they represent aren't as different as they seem. Now, you want to talk about repressed issues. I mean, what Emilio Estevez does to get himself in detention? <laughs> I mean, I just, I react to it this way now, but it's like, I'm just, I'm thinking, were people in sitting in the theater when this came out? And they're like, what? That's what he did? <sighs> He, well, there's always a okay. So basically, he he relates a story where because of the endless pressure he feels from his overbearing father, not just to be an athlete, but just to be like a cool dude. Yeah, to be like I I, I kind of get what he was saying, like yeah. the idea that like you can kind of be wild in high school as long as you don't do anything too fucked up and you don't blow your ride. But I think that this would cross the line for me of being too fucked up. Now, (laughs) unfortunately, in 1984, no, no. But now, yeah, this would be like, he would be on a registered sex offender list, probably. (laughs) I mean... Like, there'd be no tolerance for for this kind of thing. So he basically Uh, tells a story where Therapy immediately. He's changing in a locker room and... He sees kind of like a skinny, nerdy kid a couple of lockers down. I guess he's. this is apparently after gym class or something. And the other kid's getting changed. And so he he tackles this kid and, as in Emilio Estevez's own words, starts wailing on him, which I thought seemed very excessive. Yeah. He also then, uses the words, taped his buns. Yeah, he taped his buns together. That's the way... He- decides to describe which i don't i mean i don't know does that mean like he pulled the kid's underwear down and then he wrapped the tape all the way around him like around i don't know i don't know what it means level it was definitely like because then you're talking about the tape going on pubes yeah i don't think there was any sort of frontal situation it must have just so he just some strips across just horizontal yeah so you're thinking multiple pieces of tape yeah that's what I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking like a thick, because he talked about the hair, yeah, how I'm, this particular kid's was hairy and the hair was right. getting ripped out and there was even some skin. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, it was a hairy ass situation. Oh, like around the hole. Oh, I don't know. You think I he mean, was? <laughs> you think he was spreading butt cheeks? No, no, I hope not. I mean, geez. and putting the tape like down the crack. He should be arrested. <laughs> But what a weird thing to tell people, and it's just like, <laughs> I just don't understand. I don't understand why the kids sitting around aren't like, you did what? <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, you monster. 
Because even like yeah, like even Bender is just like my God, <laughs> like what the. But fuck? really, like that's not even like the part that I mean. He's just kind of glosses past that and is like, well, you know, he had to go home and tell his dad, which you know, as you pointed out, we didn't really have to tell his dad. Yeah, that's. Sometimes you don't need to share every detail of your day with oh, your parents yeah. when you're in high school, and that'd be one that like you'd have to shamefully keep to yourself. Oh, I think. yeah. I mean, it sucks, but I think any dad would probably hear that from their son and be like, "How? How did you himself. let that happen?" <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's the. I think that was. Yeah, I know. Andrew's whole point was yeah, just like, it is horrifying to think about. Yeah, because he's thinking of his own father. Yeah. Now. It's quite possible that this boy he bullied's father is more sensitive and understanding. We don't know, but yeah. he's projecting his own father's reaction if it was the other way around or something, right. probably. If this was like the now, social we... network, the kid that he did that to would be like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then we find out that uh, Brian brought a flare gun to school. This is an had insane story, locker. too. But, like, okay, and then Ali Sheedy's character, Allison, she didn't do anything. She's just a weirdo creep who just showed up because she has nothing going on. Right. But do we ever find out the specifics? Oh, I guess we do find out Bender pulled a fire alarm. Oh, yeah. But do we ever find out why Claire is there? I I don't know. I I was going to ask that. Yeah, I don't think that's revealed. So, all right, to jump back, Brian... Uh, is like, you know, obviously straight A's all the time, smartest kid in school, but he's failing shop class because he, there was a project to make like an elephant, a ceramic elephant lamp, which seemed just the idea of seemed much more complex than anything <laughs> we were ever making yeah. in shop class. No, but yeah. Anyway, like we were making like wooden even, coasters. I don't even think I, I really ever took shop class we uh, had to take it in middle school i don't think in high school you had to take it yeah I, I never took it in high school i don't think i know i i think uh in my one high school we had like an option of like different tech classes you could take so you know i wasn't signing up for shop i took like culinary or something <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah i mean come on i was just real know, douchey here's the thing anytime that you ever heard like a story of like a kid cutting his finger off in wood shop those, i knew that was going to be me those culinary classes really coming in handy today <laughs> <laughs> as you just heat up another dinner in the microwave <laughs> um so this f in shop class is weighing heavily on brian's mind and he can't deal with it and he is contemplating suicide, but he brings a flare gun to school. Which, which obviously, mean, in a pre-Columbine world, the idea of bringing any gun to school is much different. Well, that's than, the thing. When he's talking about it, he doesn't really keep saying flare gun. Right? Well, no, he, just, he doesn't until uh, Allison yeah. like confronts him on what kind of gun it was. Right. And then they all kind of laugh but at him. But that's the thing. So he's kind of like, you know, he has this little monologue, and he just keeps talking about bringing a, a gun to school, and now he's got a gun in his locker, and you're like, wow, so, this is like dark. So this so this fucking creep over here is taping buns together. Then we got this guy's got a gun in his locker. It's like all of a sudden Bender doesn't seem like that bad of a guy. Yeah, this is it's like uh, Gus Van Sant's elephant. That's what this movie's <laughs> turning into. But uh, yeah, and that's the thing though. Then you're like, he was going to commit suicide with a flare gun. I mean, well, I think in a way the idea is there that it kind of takes the tension out of the story because obviously 
he's not going to be able to commit suicide with a flare gun. What would I mean? It seems like you, you could really fuck yourself up. Yeah, with, you'd probably <laughs> light your hair on fire Holy or something. Holy shit! What if he put it in his mouth? What would happen? Well, he could choke on the flare, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mean, know. It's like I don't know. At least if you shot yourself in the head with a regular gun, you know. Well, it may be horrifying. It seems like it would do the trick and be over pretty quick. With a flare gun, you're really taking a lot of risks as to like what could happen there. Well, you misfire. Uh, I'm guessing like a- that the that the idea there is to show that he wasn't serious. That yeah. it wasn't going to happen. And you know, the kind of um, the idea of sex comes up, you know, several times as is natural with uh, teenagers, all kind of of mixed gender in this. Uh, confined area. The first time, well, several times, uh, Bender is very curious about whether or not Claire is a virgin. But eventually, that that kind of interest gets directed yeah. towards other people, and he has no problem just straight up asking her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, not really something that would be acceptable in 2017. I think right. It wasn't not not like it was acceptable then, Even, but like I mean, when when if you were like a dirt ball asshole, you could do that kind of stuff, and it wasn't like not normal. Like, yeah, people said shitty, fucked up things to like people or especially girls, and it wasn't like treated like the end of the world. Now, I mean, obviously, he's supposed to be this like crass, kind of you know beyond the norms of society kind of character, but like. I don't think it's too outlandish that he would start messing with her in that way. I think yeah. that's actually probably. And I mean, once normal. they get the dialogue going and they all got to talk about it, I mean, that feels a little bit more. Well, at first, natural. like when he first starts talking to Brian about it, and he gets Brian to admit that he's a virgin. <laughs> I, I it's such a to classic shock. It is such a classic part and something that I've always remembered and probably have quoted before about like because I, I I don't know. But it became kind of the cliche thing about people, like, you know, whenever you're, like, that age and you're a a guy and you're a virgin to, like, make up these claims about girls on vacation or girls in Niagara Falls. And I love Bender's line, you know, he's like, aside from all of the girls in the (laughs) Niagara Falls area, he's because Brian does this bizarre move, and I, I... is sad, like I I can't say that I would do this in the same scenario, but I kind of related to that weird panic move that he makes of almost like oh yeah pointing towards Claire in an ambiguous enough way where you could still back out of it, which is what he tries to do when right. Bender actually does confront him and starts asking Claire if she's having sex with Brian and all this stuff, <laughs> but like. I get it. Like, I get that, like, panic. Oh, yeah. Like, try I, I to, never... like, push it off onto somebody else move that really just blows up in your face real fast. Oh. <laughs> because you didn't think it through. Yeah, I, I would just never want to be asked, like, anything. <laughs> like, don't ask me. So, later, when they're all doing their big-time confessionals, like, this, of course, gets brought up again, and... um Allison, who to this point hasn't even really spoken all of that much and has just come off as more of like a freak than anything else. Like that's what her social cast is. She kind of makes this claim that she's a nymphomaniac and she's constantly having sex with her psychiatrist, which 
is all kind of this bizarre story. And they're buying it. Trick Claire into admitting something that she had, to that point, not admitted at all. A master manipulator. And it is kind of funny how in this time period, they're kind of touching on the idea that you're either a saint or a slut. Like, it's one or the other. Like, you're either this uh, prude who is, like, antisexual or... If you've ever had sex yeah. at all and you're a girl, you're a slut. A lot of labels riding on one yes or no question. And so then she gets accused of being a tease by pretty much every character. Oh, the piling on. Despite the fact that Allison also admits to being a virgin, Brian has admitted to being a virgin. Right. And now we're finding out that Claire is as well. We never really get confirmation one way or the other on the other two. You would assume that Bender and pro- probably Andrew have... It's that mob mentality, that sexually group active. shaming. <laughs> but it is funny because during this sequence where they're all five sitting in a circle on the floor, it becomes obvious that there's this bizarre like tension between uh, Claire, Molly Ringwald's character, and Bender... And he is kind of like relentless in going after her on everything she says and does. Well, he's been putting on this like kind of like pickup artist type (laughs) game plan on her since she walked. He's immediately like saying like, oh, Claire, that's a fat girl's name. He's like, you know, really playing on her insecurities. And I mean, he, he knows what he's doing here. Yeah, I think you made the comment that he's familiar with the game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, he was like a he was an early adopter. But yeah, a couple of times it gets you know, Claire uh does not kind of handle this kind of in your face confrontation well and is like, you know, breaking down crying several times because I think, you know, we're supposed to understand that because of her social status in school she doesn't have to deal with a lot of the same kind of bullshit that like the lower class of students, you know, have to deal with. Like obviously someone like Brian or even like Allison is probably used to being bullied in one way or another. Uh Bender you is think, yeah. kind of this intimidating character that like most people probably just aren't gonna mess with. Yeah, I wouldn't but, like, talk to him. You know, Claire hasn't had anyone ever like push these kind of things at her and she's not she's kind of cracking it under the the pressure of it but at the same time you know bender's kind of got her on the on the hook a little bit and he starts you know he's he's kind of reeling her in it's kind of just like a master class (laughs) in in uh psychological manipulation (laughs) because i mean he's basically sexually harassed her pretty much all day oh and then yeah, at one point he ends up physically under- assaults her basically. Well, he ends up underneath sexually assaults. underneath the table whenever he's not supposed to be in that room. And Warner comes in. He's hiding underneath the table that Claire and Andrew are sitting at, and he looks directly up her her skirt. And of course, for some reason, we get that camera shot like of the upskirt, that is which is strange. kind of funny. Yeah, John Hughes, <laughs> super creep, but. I don't know what is actually implied that he does here. Something physical, right? Well, he starts, like, I think she just, like, felt his face, like, start to touch her knees as he was, like, pushing forward into it. (laughs) Although, that's the thing. She doesn't completely give up the, you know, she doesn't blow the cover either. Yeah, because they're still covering table. So, they've kind of been building up this, like, thing between the two of them all day, and at 
several points during this like circle of truth that they're having <laughs> together uh there are some back and forths between the two of them that kind of like get kind of a little you know emotionally heated and if I was like one of those other kids, I'd be yeah. like, "All right, I think the three of us need to like yeah, the other go sit somewhere like, else because they're obviously having like this moment here, and we're not really a part of this." Yeah, anymore. something's going on there. But um, once they've all kind of confessed some of these truths, I'm not even—I mean, you could call them secrets, like these things about themselves that were to this point in their lives probably heavily guarded like their their intimate like kind of thoughts and fears about their lives and the things that are going on in them we kind of understand as an audience that we've like reached a new level like they've reached a new level together and that's when claire who has you know called allison a bitch several times and allison has kind of mocked claire and you know tricked her into revealing her being a virgin all this stuff they kind of have this moment where claire is like all right i'm gonna do something for you claire obviously is popular and knows how to look good and (laughs) knows how to do makeup knows how to do makeup and so she kind of um takes allison aside and she's gonna like wash off like the the dark eyeshadow and all that stuff that she has on and kind of give her a little bit of a she's all that style makeover complete with a whole new outfit right kind of yeah and like a new hair thing and the whole deal so there's like a couple of aspects to this that i feel like need to be addressed first would be like this idea that uh andrew's character or emilio estevez's character andrew he suddenly becomes interested in Allison once this makeover is completed. They had and an it's earlier kind of, pairing off, but yeah, but it kind of sparks weren't it flying. S- it sends this message of like having to change your appearance to what is socially acceptable just f- for the approval of a, a guy. Yeah, that's basically. Weird. Right. And then, of course, from my perspective, I think Alice Sheedy looked better pre-makeover oh she yeah definitely she the looks makeover kind of looks bizarre she, she looks a lot younger afterward and the thing in her hair is not great <laughs> um but those things aside i think you know the first kind of thing that i laid out there is a valid point and uh, you know i'm sure a feminist critique of this film would definitely point these things out and i and i think that's completely fair and oh i, I and would true, agree with that but i don't know if the intention was just that, like, getting this makeover makes Allison more appealing and thus a better person and a more suitable uh, relationship partner for Andrew, I I tend to think, and maybe I'm giving uh, Hughes too much credit for this here, I think the idea is more... This is something that Claire is into and Claire likes and Claire is good at. And as a hobby or as something to be interested in, it's as valid as anything else. So this is more of about the idea that Claire wants to have this bonding experience with Allison and do something that Claire considers nice for her. In other words, it's more about the the two girls forming a connection here 
than the byproduct, which is kind of unnecessary and probably yeah. shouldn't have been included in the, the byproduct, film. That's which is that Andrew is now interested in. Her. Yeah, the byproduct is what I have a huge issue with. I just don't think that, and I mean, I, you know, on par with what you're saying as far as like, yeah, that's weird that that would be the idea that she should be pretty and then uh, Amelia Estevez will be attracted to her. But I don't know that there's ever been less chemistry between two <laughs> characters that end up together at the end. It's just it's so it, unbelievable yeah, to me. And in it's, a weird way... It feels bizarre. It kind of cheapens the impact of Claire and Bender getting They together. have legitimate... Like, there's tension there. I mean, there's definitely, like, an on-screen chemistry. There's sparks. I mean, something is going on there. Whereas the other two, you're just like, what? I mean... Right, and it, it, the fact that they force those other two together, um, Allison and Andrew, it it kind of makes the ending seem a little forced, and thus you question the idea of even Claire and Bender getting together because then it just seems like this convenient coupling yeah. off. Whereas before, if it would have just been Claire and, and Bender, it would have been more reasonable. Well, Claire and Bender have a whole thing where she like kind of just like kisses him on the neck, which is like a weird move. But it's like the tables have turned. Like she's the ballsy one. Like he 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 was too afraid to pull a move like that. But yeah, because just, like, for all his posturing, he still knows the truth, which is she's infinitely more popular than him. Yeah, and he to take that next step for him just proved to be too too much. Like yeah, and just, I mean, honestly, it, it was if too they get much together. His life is going to be ruined. I mean, it's just not going to go good. But <laughs> he even says, kind of like, "Well, my bargain, you know, uh, his bargaining chip here is like, ooh, you can kind of get back at your parents by dating me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's weird because all right, like I said before. Um, it's almost the end of the day, so they realize that Warner's going to be coming back soon. So Bender returns to his locked cell the same way that he got back to the library, which is back up through the ceiling. And all of a sudden, Claire just appears. And it's just like, it's very bizarre. And it's just like, what, is she going to blow him in there? <laughs> like, it's just like, it's very intimate and like forward of her. Yeah, scary, and, even. <laughs> and you're just like, wow, this is like gonna get real interesting real fast um yeah. and so like it or not we we're left with two couples now uh <laughs> poor allison, brian allison and andrew and claire and bender and that just leaves poor brian the nerd um but he's gonna clean up in his later years those two couples get each other and then brian gets saddled with having to write the essay one essay oh, for yeah. all of them instead of them all writing their own yeah and uh Claire learning some uh, manipulation skills herself. Well, these are the, th that's the type of manipulation that she's probably used. Yeah, she's her whole got life, that down pat. Is kind of getting boys to do things that she doesn't want to do, and she kind of, but she know she understands that she she doesn't need to like flirt or be a tease to get Brian to do something. She just needs to stroke his ego by kind of reminding him that he's the smartest one and that all of the other kids would trust him to write their thing. And it, he eats He's it in the right physics up. club. <laughs> A physics club. <laughs> I mean... Demented and sad, but still social. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
so then their parents come and pick each you know pick them all up except for bender who's got to walk home and uh that's when allison and andrew first kiss and bender and claire kiss again right like right in front of whichever one of her parents is picking her up and i just thought it was funny that She's willing to like put on that show for her parents, but oh, then right. she's not willing to be like, hey, can we give my new boyfriend a ride home? Yeah, he's got to <laughs> just walk home by himself. Just Now, uh, anytime that I watch this you know, recently and see this ending, I, I think about the part from Pitch Perfect with Anna <laughs> Kendrick watching it and just weeping at the end of the <laughs> film, which is played for laughs, and it is pretty funny. Just because she's like... Her character in Pitch Perfect is, for some reason, has never seen like any popular movie or any well-known movie. It's ever. an interesting character trait, and so like she's kind of and she's kind of like against it, but then like, you know, in her coming together with her love interest in the film, she decides to watch these movies or whatever. <laughs> Just like her emotional reaction to The Breakfast Club is great, and of course we see. In Pitch Perfect, the end, like on her computer screen, we see the iconic end of the film um, with Bender walking across the football field while uh, Simple Minds is playing kind of the iconic song uh, that goes along with this film. And he raises his fist in some sort of triumph <laughs> and it freeze frames. Like, what, it, what are your thoughts on that being the choice for the end of the film. Oh, it's completely bizarre. I mean, it's it's 80s, I'll give it that, but I mean, movies ending on freeze frames in general is a weird move. I mean, you kind of get it for like a sitcom or something. <laughs> it should have just ended with him like smelling his fingers after she came into that back room to see <laughs> and him. doing a fist bump. <laughs> or if he just like, Reached into his pocket and took out her panties and sniffed them. <laughs> <laughs> freeze frame. It, yeah, it freeze frames and then the music stops and it just goes silent. Da, except da, da, you da. hear, no, it just the, the sound drops out completely and then you just hear, <laughs> like as it's already freeze framed. <laughs> People walking out of the film really <laughs> <What>? upset. <laughs> just like, <laughs> wow, I really did not expect it to end that way. Like, I thought this was, like, a pretty good uh, teen film. The characters really seem to learn a lot about each other, and it's, you know, how we're not all that different. And then it just really ended in a really crude way. putting yeah, really... Just so unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, you know, it's a major score for Bender. Yeah, I think that's... that's, I honestly, if I'm interpreting that... That's a huge poll. Him raising his fist, I'm, I'm thinking a guy like that is raising his fist only in celebration that he just kissed the most popular girl in school. Yeah. I mean... Who he, looks incredible in this movie, by the way. I mean, if we're to believe what's happening in the wall. movie, he's going to be going to Saturday detention for the next two months. So <laughs> yeah. it wasn't a great day for him outside of pulling uh, Claire. <laughs> People just leave... <laughs> People were just really upset by the last five seconds of The Breakfast Club. <laughs> now, I'd like to say this, too. It's like the part where they're going over like things that they're good at or talents or whatever. Wow. Claire's <laughs> talent? I mean... Which seems not to be like now, just granted, a total pig, but yeah. let's be honest. I mean, she's flat-chested in the film. 
I don't. Okay. I really don't even understand what's happening when she's putting the lipstick. I, on. I don't either. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But like, here's the thing. I mean, now I know one character, Brian, is pointing out that he can make spaghetti. I was like, I. I mean, you. That's a talent. But it, making spaghetti blows what she does out of the water. Yeah, I, I mean, that's not. Why would you ever think that anyone would care about that? Well, it it also is is a moment where you're basically saying I can. Bend my head down at, at and my put piece. lipstick on with the lipstick stuck in the front of my bra, which they don't actually show her doing, because even when they cut back to her, it's at an angle and her arm is <laughs> yeah. In the, the way, way it's shot, it just looks like she just puts her head down. Yeah, be- probably because they tried to probably get her to be able to do it and she couldn't because it's, she- it's not like a. I know what you're saying, because even if she could do it, it's not an actual thing that <laughs> anyone cares? would care about. But it's like, I don't even think she could do it. It seems like kind of an impossible thing. But it's like, she's like, don't laugh. It's like, I wouldn't laugh. I'd be like, that. what What did you just do? I'd be like, stop doing that. You're yeah, annoying yeah, me. Right. I mean, you're embarrassing yourself. Well, it also, this moment in the film also kind of like stretches believability a little bit. Not to the level of screaming and breaking the glass in a door. But yeah, slightly unbelievable. In the sense that, like, she's so gullible, and she's so not, she's so unable to like catch on to what Bender's doing because he kind of like gives her shit about it, and she starts oh, yeah. crying again. It's like she has a hard life. You just put lipstick on with your bra, and he kind of goofed on you or acted incredulous about it. I don't even know because she later a- asks him, "Were you really disgusted by it?" And I'm like. I don't even remember him acting disgusted. He just acted kind of like no one knows how to react to that. And I mean, it's just like she's you know on high alert when it comes to her emotions. Like she's <laughs> just willing to start weeping over nothing. Right. It's just like when she started crying for the second time after he kind of gives her shit about the lipstick thing. He must have been thinking like, God, this was easy to get this chick. <laughs> like she's just like <laughs> anything he did at that point, she was an emotional wreck. Yeah, what a draining day this would be. Well, is like I like I just said before when it came to the language being, you know, in 2017 seeming like a lot of clichés that maybe weren't really clichés in 1985. Some of the uh ideas like the narrative devices and ideas that are are utilized probably also seem unoriginal just because they've been copied from this film so many times. But one of the things that I think, you know, regardless of how original it feels or whatever, that that definitely um, works for me because it's kind of like the elephant in the room and maybe it's a little clumsy to just have a character bring it up, but like how else are you going to do it in this kind of setting with this kind of movie, which is the idea that, and you talked, you even kind of like, vaguely referenced this idea when you talked about spending time with someone that you didn't really know and then kind of making a friend for the day kind of thing. Right. It's, you know, Brian brings up the idea of, like, what's going to happen on Monday. Well, he's really concerned about it. He's got the most to lose here from, you know, the people that have really gained something out of this day. Because, I mean, Ali Sheedy, it's like, she doesn't care. And two of them are popular and Bender's kind of a loner. So it's like, Brian's the one who could actually stand to have some social mobility from this right and it's just this thing because you know when a film ends 
and it ends on kind of a happy ending or an upbeat ending or a positive kind of thing, then as viewers, we walk away, you know, there was never a sequel to this film or anything. So we just assume or we, you know, even you don't you don't even have to think about it. It's just like, all right, well, everybody learned something from that day forward. They were going to treat other people differently. Maybe some of them would be friends still. Maybe those relationships would last and be meaningful as far as like the dating or whatever. But like, it's a positive, happy ending. But like, Brian's bringing up like the reality of their worlds returning, you know, back to the way it was pre detention is, I think, kind of a great thing to include towards the end of this film because it kind of it kind of gives this idea that these characters have some sort of lives and it have depth and a lot of times in these kind of teen movies it's all very of the moment oh yeah and like i said it's kind of just like it's not the most creative thing ever to just have a character be like hey what's going to happen after this movie's over basically is what he's saying <laughs> you know what i mean after this positive <laughs> yeah. experience but it's like and I think it's it's guys. We can still be friends, right? Come on. Come it's on. interesting friends, that, huh? that Claire, in that moment, chooses to be completely honest and be like, "I'm never going to talk to you yeah, again." Yeah, you guys are. We're not going to be friends, and our own friends, you know, aren't going to be accepting of this. And she kind of like goes around and acts like her and Andrew's friends are the same, or would react the same as Brian. Or Bender's friends, Allison makes it a point to say she doesn't have any friends, so it wouldn't matter. <laughs> but and she even says, like, to Bender, she's like, Well, what would your friends say if they saw you walking down the hall with they'd me? They'd be like, Good lord. Yeah, they'd Bender, be like, Holy five. shit. Because <laughs> there is never, see, that's the thing. Like, she's trying to, re- they are able to, like, reach all these common grounds and commonalities between them plenty of times, but when it comes right down to it, there are certain things in their lives that aren't comparable and can never be the same. And that's definitely one of the big ones, which is like when you're popular in high school, your everyday existence is so much different from everyone else's. Like no matter what your social niche is, if you're not of that upper echelon, like the cool kids, the popular kids, then you're always kind of like in awe of that and want that no matter who you are. So it's like, of course, Brian's other nerdy friends would think it was like fucking badass if he's all of a sudden talking to Bender. No kidding. Or fucking would be, their minds would be blown if Claire said hi to him and like was talking to him or something. So it's like, they're like you and Bender just like rip joints together. And the other characters, I think, especially, you know, Bender, who at this point is pouncing all over anything Claire (laughs) says, you know, they point that like, they point out the bullshit and what she's saying because they know, I think the other characters, you know, aside from maybe Andrew, they know that, like, no, it's not the same. Like, our friends would probably not think the way that your friends would think because your friends are all shitty. (laughs) Well, yeah, that Brian dude's not bad. They're like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? Not bad. (laughs) So... tape his buns? Yeah, imagine if like his story had been like he taped some girls' buns together. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's Bender's. That's why he's in there. Also, like 
uh, a couple casual uses of the word fag in the film, like it's written on Bender's locker because he says, like, open this locker and you will die, dot, 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 fag, <laughs> really big on his own locker. And then uh, Andrew calls Bender a yeah, faggot. A hard okay. F, yeah. <laughs> Just kind of like... Sign of the times. Yeah, it's a little jarring. Um, it is strange. But, you know, I think... People obviously, I think, will would look back critically on that. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. I just think like you know, obviously, language evolves and changes, and right? We kind of, you know, adapt, move on, whatever. You know, obviously, things that Bender says and does to Claire aren't going to fly either. We've kind of covered that too. Oh yeah, but um, overall, like, I still think it's an important film, and I know, like, even my younger sisters, um. Went through John Hughes phases. Watch this film too. I mean, this. I don't know. I can't speak to you know what high schoolers are doing now, but it, this for a good thirty years, this was like a rite of passage to like kind of get introduced to a more adult oriented movie. I I could imagine this being a lot of people's like first R rated movie or something that oh, they saw, yeah. especially when it comes to like this um, particular subject matter, and it's right. like teenagers talking and acting a little bit like adults also the part in uh (laughs) not another teen movie where they do the scene basically where he's getting detentions multiple detentions i mean does it's weird because it's basically like they're doing the same scene just with different actors parodying it you know what i mean usually there's like more changes to something no, they they there's 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 some. Why don't jokes you go down by the bay? <laughs> yeah, where he keeps like rhyming. They because expand it, on it, it a bit, yeah. but I feel like it's very close to it still. A lot of it is taken verbatim, but like they kind of like tag onto <laughs> it, and they kind of have some of the uh, like gender roles reversed. Like they have the one kid acting like Molly Ringwald, where he's like, <laughs> "Stop!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not another teen movie. Pretty great. Everyone should check it out. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I saw that in the theater. I thought it was funny then. It's a banana think it's funny now. <laughs> all right, so final thoughts on Breakfast Club. No, I think we uh, got it all in there. All right, so... More eps to come. Yeah, obviously we know that we were coming hot and heavy. We'll give everyone a chance to catch up uh, a little bit so there won't be a new episode for at least you know a week or so or more, so... Everyone kind of enjoy these uh, three episodes and uh, give us your feedback, tweet at us, or, you know, send Matt a text yeah, or whatever you got to do. And uh, keep on keeping on and make sure you're subscribed. And uh, I guess that'll do it. We'll see you next time. Peace.